Well, if you hadn't uh, looked at your bulletin and you didn't know what we're talking about today, I just let the cat out of the bag. We're talking about money. All right? I know those of you who might be new today are like, oh, great. Here we go again. Another pastor talking about money. Maybe you've got some bad experiences in church and money. I promise you, today will be painless. Okay? We're not going to take a special offering for you to instantly apply what I'm teaching you today or anything. Uh, but the reality is that, that money, in many ways, is a taboo subject. Uh, it's something that's uncomfortable for a lot of people to talk about. And we're trained, just like the subject last week. Now, Phil talked about wisdom around sex. All right, we're, talk, we're, we're trained not to talk about money. And you think about a situation in which someone generously invites you over to their house for dinner, and they walk in and they give you the tour of the home and have a nice fancy meal. The things you don't say is, wow, this is a nice house. How much did it cost? You must make a lot of money. How much do you make a year? And, and how much was this food? This is really exquisite. You don't talk about it. But the reality is that the Bible talks a lot about money. A lot more than just about any other topic. In the Proverbs itself, this is one of the most frequent topics uh, you come to. And it talks so much about money that we, uh, we come to a common problem, is that we view money through isolated verses. And we, we kind of come to an improper or incomplete idea about money and how it relates to spiritual issues. And so for one example, some might read the Bible and they come to the conclusion through a few verses that money is the primary sign of God's blessing. That, that God wants everyone to be rich. That your money is directly related to your faith. So if you have a lot of faith, you have a lot of money. If you're poor, it means you must not have very much faith. And we call this the prosperity gospel. Okay, this is an incomplete and incorrect view of money. You might take a little bit of Malachi 3 where it says, if you give unto God, he'll open up his storehouses from heaven and rain his blessings upon you. And maybe sprinkle in a little bit of Jesus saying that whatever you ask for in my name will be given to you. And you can bake yourself a nice health and wealth gospel. Now, on the flip side, you could look at some other verses and come to the conclusion that money is bad. And to be rich is a sin. You... You uh, want to sell everything and, and live among the poor. We call this the austerity gospel. That you need to give everything away <clears throat> and be poor if you want to be spiritually superior. You might look at the verse that says that Jesus did not even have a place to lay his head. He's like a fox without a den. And so we must be like Jesus. Or the rich young man who asks Jesus, how can I go to heaven? And he says, you, sir, need to sell everything you have and give to the poor and then follow me and you go to heaven. Well, looking at those verses in isolation, you might think money is bad. And the reality is when you have a holistic view of money in the scriptures, the truth is somewhere in between. And the point I'm making is that money is, talking, is spoken about a lot in the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament. Jesus himself spoke about money more than any other subject except the, king, uh, the kingdom of God. 
So this means two things. First, that money, possessions, how we view them, how we acquire them, how we spend them, is absolutely a spiritual issue. And we get into a lot of danger when we have all of our spiritual pursuits and theologies and then we take money out of that and put it in its own compartment. Money is a spiritual issue and we need to view it through a spiritual lens. It also means that there's a lot of wisdom and guidance around money. God has a lot of direction he wants to give to us in this. And if we want to be wise, we need to heed that instruction. So today we're going to take a a well-rounded look at money. There's five points we're going to see. How we view it, how we acquire it, how we manage it, how we give it, and then how we value it. So this is another one of those uh, sermons in the book of Proverbs. We're going to be hopscotching back and forth. It's going to be a lot of page flipping, so I'll try to give you some, some heads up. To start with, let's open up to Proverbs 10. Proverbs 10, verse 22. And the overarching point here is that we need to view money through God's perspective. Right? We have to see it as a spiritual entity and a spiritual pursuit. And this really shapes everything about money for us. The energy we spend on it, our priorities, it, it shapes how you see the world. It shapes how you see other people. It shapes even how you see yourself. How you view money is very important. And Proverbs 10, 22 says, The blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. And the point I think that's being made here is that money in and of itself is not evil. Okay, we get the idea sometimes that that money or to, to have money is a sin, that, that there's these, this 1% of the world who has billions of dollars and there's 99% of the world who has nothing, and, and they have that because they're bad, because they are corrupt and greedy and they're doing it at the expense of us. And in reality, this argument doesn't hold up. And, and I'm not saying that all of them are good. There's probably some of them who got there because they were greedy, But in reality, everyone in this room right now is in the global 1%. So by that same argument, we are also evil. Okay, There are 99 people in the world who are worse off than you, just by virtue of you being an American. Money itself is not evil. What we read in this verse is that money is a blessing of God. But as we read in 1 Timothy 6, it's the love of money. That is the root of all kinds of evil. It's when you love money more than God, you get greedy and corrupt. You steal and you cheat and you lie and you gain at the expense of others. Now, money in and of itself is actually viewed very favorably throughout the Bible. And in the book of Proverbs, there's a a very positive attitude towards it. And what we unpack out of this verse is that, that there is a relationship between God's blessing and your money. Now, we all work. Most of us work to get money, or at least we have. And there's a relationship there. But at the end of the day, the money you have is God's grace and blessing upon you. He is the one who provides what you need. It's not your work that got you there, but it's God's grace 
that gives you what you need when you need it. And so for those who have a money problem, the answer isn't money. It's the Lord. It's your dependence on Him. And all money should be seen as a blessing because it's not the product of yourself, it's the product of God and His work in your life. He is to receive the glory for all you have. So money by itself is not evil, but the improper view of it could lead towards all kinds of evil. So that's the first point in here. Money's not evil, but also money's not everything. Flip back to Proverbs 8. When you view money through God's perspective, you understand that money isn't evil, but also money isn't everything. Verse 8, chapter 8, verse 10, 11. Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing, nothing you desire can compare with her. Knowledge, wisdom, instruction, we've talked about this throughout the series. This is synonymous with knowing God, knowing the heart of God, and having an intimate spiritual relationship with God. Nothing you desire in this world can compare to that. Money isn't everything. Now take this advice with a lot of weight. Because this is coming from Solomon. And what we know from the Bible is that Solomon had everything you could ever imagine. We know that that he had a kingdom which he could send people out And every month they would come from distant, far-off lands with thousands of pounds of gold and silver and rubies and the finest things you could imagine. He he literally had boatloads of money coming in every single month. And it was incalculable. We don't know how much money he had, but it's far more than anyone today, more than Bill Gates, more than Elon Musk, more than John Rockefeller. He had more money than anyone who had ever lived. It says he is richer than any king, which means he is richer than any man. Solomon had it all, and now he's giving this advice to us. Choose knowing God over having money, anything you could desire. Now, how many of you wish you had a little bit more money? I think we'd all raise our hands. We all wish we had a little bit more. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. You can do a lot of good with a very little bit of money. But we, we lie to ourselves and we believe that if we just had that, that little bit more, we'd be content. Our problems would go away. We would have a happy life. And, and the reality is that money is a sliding scale. At least your contentment with it. And I remember... Back when I was in high school, this is now over 20 years ago, I had a job as a 15-year-old. And I I worked hard, and I saved most of what I got. And at one point, I I pulled all my money out, and I counted it. And I had $500. Okay, as a 15-year-old, my mind was blown. And I just envisioned, like, I could lay this out, and I could could lay on it like a bed. Like, this is so much money. And then, not much longer after that, I, as a 15-year-old, became a thousandaire, right? 
And it was, my mind was blown by how much money I had. But then you fast forward over 20 years later, and now I have a family. And I have a house. I have cars. We have medical bills. We have a dog. We have a yard and all this stuff. And if all I had was $500, I would be terrified. Right? It's a sliding scale, and I suspect that no matter how much money you have, it's never going to feel like enough to you. And Solomon spent a large part of his life chasing everything for fulfillment besides God. And wealth and riches were one of those things. And in Ecclesiastes, you kind of see a man at a spiritual and a personal low point who said, I've tried everything and it didn't work. And Ecclesiastes 5 talks about wealth and riches. And he comes to this conclusion. Whoever loves money never has enough. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. If money becomes everything for you, you'll never have enough. And you'll always be left wanting. Solomon understood how empty it was to accumulate wealth, everything you could desire in the world, and still not be right with God. Proverbs 16, 16, it says, How much better to get wisdom than gold? To have understanding is better than silver. Proverbs 15, 16, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and all the troubles that come with it. What he said, essentially saying there is, more money, more problems. Money isn't everything. And I imagine Solomon was the, the guy who walked in his vast treasure rooms that were overfilling, not even room to walk. But he was absolutely empty to the core because he was not right with God. Money is not everything. You have to view money with the right perspective. It's not evil. It's not everything. And that's going to shape everything else that we're going to talk about today. The next part is, is how you acquire money, how you gain money. Flip forward now to Proverbs 20. We're going to look at verse 23. The Lord detests differing weights, and dishonest scales do not please him. We're going to talk about that in a moment, but the idea here is that you have to come about what you have with integrity with honesty. And if you love money more than God, then you are going to be inclined to acquire money apart from God's standards. Money is one of those things that carries great temptation with it. And I think those in the church, those outside of the church, know that it's wrong. I mean, every week you see these scandals around money just kind of rock the news cycle. The corrupt politician, the person who steals from the church, or the person who robs the bank. Everyone knows it's wrong, but God reinforces over and over again that's wrong. This, this idea is repeated several times throughout the Proverbs, the differing weights and dishonest scales. And what this is referring to is the ancient practice of merchants at the time. When you'd go and, let's say you wanted to buy uh, three pounds of salt, 
The way they would do it is they would put a three-pound weight on one side of the scale, and they'd, they'd fill the other side until it balances out, and they'd say, here's your three pounds of salt, and I'll take the money, and, and they'd make the exchanges. It's like when you get a pound of ham from the deli, right? But what the merchants would do, the, the ones that were corrupt, is they would say this stone that they're putting on the side was three pounds, but it's actually two pounds. Or they'd rig the scale in a way that would always come out in their favor, and they'd be cheating their customers. They were telling them they were receiving something that they weren't. And God's saying that this isn't some shrewd bargaining tactic or flawless business plan. He's saying that it's deceitful. And he's saying that he hates this. God detests when you will come to money without honesty. And we have situations all the time that we encounter. Maybe you're selling a car or a house, and there's some huge issues with it, but you choose not to disclose it. And you know that this car is going to break down at any moment, but you, you list it on Facebook, and you say, it runs like a charm. It's like brand new. And you hope in the test drive that they don't see any of the issues, and you, you pawn it off on them, and then it's like, nope, their problem now. That's dishonest scales. Or maybe in taxes, you choose to under-report how much you made or over-report how much you gave to charitable giving. That's differing weights. And even things maybe you didn't plan out, it just kind of happened. You go to the store and the cashier neglects to ring up an expensive item or, or, or gives you more change and you're aware of the situation and yet you say nothing. That's dishonesty. You're not coming about what you have with integrity, and God does not take delight in these things. Because at the end of the day, you're not gaining money, you're stealing money. And you're just transferring this expense and this burden onto someone else in an unfair way. So Solomon says, it's better to be poor and honest than dishonest and rich. The bottom line is that in all things, big and small, God wants you to acquire your money with honesty. The other side of this, in the same point, back to Proverbs 10, is that there's an expectation that the money you receive, you should work for. There's absolutely a link between your work and your money. And we're going to talk more about this in a couple weeks. We're going to have a whole sermon just on, on work ethic. But in Proverbs 10... Verse 4, it says, Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Now, two things this is not saying is that if you're poor, it must be because you're lazy, and that if you work hard, you will be rich. Now, those are usually related to one another, but it, there's always exceptions outside of the rule. The reality is that most people desire the shortcuts. How many of you would love to make more money doing less work? Everyone's going to raise their hands, right? And, and no matter where you're working, you're going to see someone making more money than you doing less work. You're going to be jealous. You're going to want that. But the reality is everyone wants to make all kinds of money doing no work. And they want to get rich quick with minimal effort. This is why scams work. It's because people have this desire to gain very much with doing very little. And you might shake your head at these emails and phone calls and texts that they're promising you all this money. And I remember when I was in college, 20-year-old, 
I get this email from this, this estranged prince of Africa who's arrested, and his, his court is searching the whole world for a worthy person to give him $500 that he can be released from jail, and he will release unto them $50 million. And like, wow, of all the people in the world, they chose Dominic Broda, 20-year-old student at Crown College. Now, I knew it wasn't real. But the enticement of getting so much money by doing so little made me want to believe it. And that's why Enron stock was a thing. That's why Bernie Madoff was a thing. People will lose everything. Lazy hands make for poverty because they want to have everything while doing nothing. In Proverbs 28, verse 22, it says, Greedy people try to get rich quick, but they don't realize that they're actually headed for poverty. If it seems too good to be true, it probably is. God designed us to work for our money, and that's how we inquire it, acquire it with integrity. Now, you can view money correctly, you can acquire money correctly, but then the question is, what do you do with it when you have it? How do you manage your money? I'm going to have you uh, go to Proverbs 22. This is another one that could have been a sermon in and of itself because the Proverbs speak a lot about managing your money. But I want to talk on probably the most important and pertinent subject for us today, which is debt. Debt is one of those things that has crippled countless American families. The typical... American family actually has way more debt than they could ever handle in their lifetime. And the reality is, not always, but most of the time, this debt is completely by choice. It is elective. And they choose to go into what we know as voluntary slavery from this verse. Proverbs 22, 7. It says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Now, just to be clear, the Bible does not explicitly condemn debt anywhere. Debt itself is not specifically a sin. There's some debt that's good, there's some debt that's bad, but the principle here is that you need to be very careful about it. And if you choose to go into debt, it needs to be for a good reason. Now, some, some examples of good debt and bad debt, maybe you can uh, pick these out as we go. Somebody maxed out their credit card because they had to have the latest fall fashions. Good debt or bad debt? Bad debt. You are working towards your first home, and so you take out a mortgage for it. Good debt, unless it's a, like Lake Minnetonka Mansion or something that's well beyond your means. All right? You take a high-interest personal loan for an all-expense week-long vacation in Mexico. Bad debt. A church is growing rapidly and needs to expand its building for its needs and opportunities in ministry. Good debt. The difference between the two is one is borrowing from tomorrow to live for today. Spending on frivolous things, elective things, things you don't need but you want. The other is borrowing from tomorrow to invest in tomorrow. 
It's the things you absolutely need and are going to pay off dividends down the road. Some debt is good. Some debt is bad. Are you spending it on a luxury or are you spending it on a necessity? And the reality is, if we're honest, most of us here are living with far more luxuries than we are necessities. And that's another thing, that debt is not just for the poor, okay? There are people who have more money than you can ever imagine that are in more debt than you can ever imagine. And this is common among athletes and celebrities and people who come into money very quickly is they will spend themselves into debt. And luxury, for me, might be having a flush toilet on vacation. Okay? It doesn't happen very often, but when it happens, that's a luxury. Luxuries, for others, might be having gold toilets in their home. And there's another thing, it's, it's a scale. Your appetite will never be filled in the luxuries. And we read that uh, in, in Proverbs 21, if you look at the, the chapter prior, 21, verse 20. It says, principle that the wise store up choice food. This is talking about luxuries. The wise store that up, choice food and oil, but the fools gulp it down. And they just keep increasing their level of what they call a necessity. Wisdom, when it comes to spending your money, is knowing the difference between luxuries and necessities. And the more appetite you, you gain for this, the more you're going to convince yourself, you have to spend this money now. And I, I've seen it in my own life. I started with baseline car where power windows was like the only feature on it. Right? And then I've kind of scaled up through the years where I get heated seats and I, I get the other features like rain-sensing wipers. And, and now I tell myself, I can never have a car without this again. I can. I can go back to the cheap car. You know? And you have to spend within your means. So whether you're experiencing it yourself, or you're trying to keep up with the Joneses and you're telling yourself you have to have these things, that's what will put you into debt to become a slave to the lender. Don't borrow from tomorrow to live for today and put yourself into voluntary slavery. Wisdom is knowing the difference between luxury and necessity and spending within your means. So managing your money, this is just one of the many topics we could have talked about today. But do all of it with prudence and wisdom. Be careful how you spend. The fourth is be generous in how you give. Now this is the moment again. Oh, my new pastor was going to go there today. This is talking about the principle in all things. Being generous with your money. This means that you move beyond seeing money as something that serves you, and it's now something you can serve with. If it's something that only fills your desires, it becomes a burden. But when money is something you can bless others with, you view money through the context of joy. Back up now to Proverbs 11, verses 24 and 25. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper, and whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. What this is saying, literally, is that one person scatters their money. 
That's, that's the, the Hebrew word literally is, is to scatter. And this means that they are throwing loosely and freely about. Now, everything we know about money would say that's the foolish thing to do. Common sense says that if you want to be rich, you need to hold on to every single penny you have and clinch it tightly. Because once you give it away, it is gone. And it is no longer yours. But here we're told that the wise way to handle money is to scatter it. So we have to unpack what this is really saying. It's not calling us to be dumb with our money, but be willing to give and to give radically. And by doing so, you'll gain even more. Now, this is not another get-rich-quick scheme from God that if you give $5 now, you get $50 million back. That's not what he's saying here. But if you use every dollar for your own purposes and for your own selfish desires, you will never feel like you have enough money. You will always feel poor. But if you view money as God's blessing to you, and now you have the opportunity to multiply that blessing to others, then you will gain more than what money could ever give you. But it's also saying that if you give, that if you're faithful with what God gives you, God will give you more to give. And this is an idea that's found throughout the Proverbs. We're going to look at another verse in a second here. And, and also in the New Testament. That if you're generous, God will be generous to you. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8 says that whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided to give in your heart. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion, so not because you have to, but because you choose to. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And Jesus said that, that you, the, the measure of what you will give will be given unto you. God says there's a cycle of generosity. He will prompt you to give. And when you're faithful to give... He will fill you up so you can continue to give. And what breaks the cycle of generosity is greed. It's when you say, I no longer can afford to give. I need this all for myself. Solomon repeats this idea in Proverbs 19. Verse 17. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. And he will reward them for what they have done. You notice that it doesn't say whoever is kind to the poor lends to the poor. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. It's you saying, God, this is your money that you gave me. And by helping those around me, I'm actually, help, I'm actually giving it back to you. I trust you with the money you gave me. And God will reward them for what they have done. He's not saying, you know what, go out and buy that new boat. He's saying, I will reward you for your faithfulness so you can continue to give. God desires a cheerful giver, and he desires us to be generous with our money. If, if your generosity is not affecting your lifestyle, 
your, your, your purchasing habits. You need to pray about how much you're giving. C.S. Lewis was asked once, how much should a Christian give? He answered, the only safe rule is to give more than you think you can spare. God wants you to be generous with your money. And lastly, and most importantly, is that we have to value your spiritual health over your material wealth. Money is absolutely a temporary thing, and, and all that it can do and accomplish is, is done for a small amount of time and, and comparatively in a small way. Money has never purchased a soul for heaven. And God doesn't look at your money and your bank account and become impressed with you upon judgment day. If you open up to, to Proverbs 30, you're going to see a prayer. Now, there's only one prayer in the whole book of Proverbs. And if you're there in Proverbs 30, you're, you're looking at it, verses 7 through 9. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. What this is saying is that the answer is not having much or having little. It's in knowing God. And that's all that matters in life. Too much and we're tempted to forget God and rely on ourselves and grow proud in all we have, we have accomplished and earned. In Proverbs 18, it says that the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it to be an unscalable wall. You get to that point where you say, I have done enough. I need no one. Not even God. And on the flip side of that, if you have too little, you become desperate. You're tempted to defy God, to steal, to cheat, to lie, to do what it takes. But at the heart of this prayer is a complete reliance on God and a relationship with Him. There is no such thing as security in your finances, but only security in God Himself. Just like the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians who reflects on his life and says, I know what it's like to have everything. And I know what it's like to have nothing in a worldly sense. But the secret for me is to be content only in God. Contentment in God apart from your finances. The goal is not to get rich or to go broke because your security is in neither, but to live in constant dependence of God. The last verse for today is back in Proverbs 11. Something that I hope speaks to every single person today. That wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Proverbs 11.4 Worth is wealthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Now, there are many reasons why you should not trust in money, but this is chief among them, because it brings you no benefit on the day of judgment. What you need before God cannot be found in this world's 
No amount of money will impress God on the day of judgment. Because the truth is that money doesn't matter in the context of eternity. It does not impress God or change his mind. Proverbs 22, 2 says that the rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. God has made every single person and knows them deeply and desires for them to know him. Proverbs 20, verse 9, Who can say that I have kept my heart pure, that I am clean and without sin? This again is Solomon, the man who had it all. The rhetorical question he asks is, who can say I have kept my heart pure and I am clean without sin? Well, there's a real answer to that, and it's no one. No one is righteous but Jesus. The only thing that matters on the day of judgment is Jesus. And he is the one righteous person the one sinless and blameless person who wants to share that righteousness with you through faith. Only he can save you. Your spiritual health should always be valued over your material wealth. I'm going to close with a song today. I'm going to invite the worship team up. But I just want to conclude everything we talked about because I know it was a lot. Okay, We kind of hit the whole umbrella here when it comes to money. Let's, let's briefly recap. The first is to view it correctly. Right? Money is not evil, but it's also not everything. You need to view money through the correct lens. You should honor God with how you get your money and how you spend your money. You might acquire more money if you work harder, but you have to understand that it's not your money. And if all you care about is getting more money, then you're the biggest fool. Manage it with wisdom and prudence. Know the difference between what you really want and what you really need. Live within your means. And let your money serve you as you serve God. And be generous. God gives to you because he's generous. And he wants you to be generous as well. But most importantly, desire Jesus above all things. Money, possessions, status, fame. Nothing in this world can compare to knowing Christ. And if you're going to boast in anything, boast in Jesus. Only Jesus can pay for your sin. Only Jesus can make you holy and righteous before God. And only Jesus can be all of your worth and sufficiency. Let's stand together as we close in song.